Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. seven billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the history of fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. So Tuesday, we learned about the extraordinary life and career of fashion designer Rudy Gernrich. And today we get to speak to one of his models. Yes, and we are so pleased to welcome past-dressed guest Barbara Flood back to the show. Last season, we did a wonderful two-part episode on advanced style, during which we had the pleasure of speaking to street-style photographer Ari Seth Cohen and his many muses, including our guest today, Barbara, and her partner of more than 40 years, Stanley. And the couple first met in the 1970s on a film called The Tracks, which Barbara starred in with Dennis Hopper. Yeah, and it's such a fun episode. If you haven't listened to it already, head on back to last season and check it out. I really love learning about Barbara and Stanley's relationship and was admittedly very enthralled by their careers in the 1960s. Prior to actually when they met, Stanley was the co-creator director of the wildly successful British music TV show Top of the Pops. And Barbara was a model in New York City. And as promised, Barbara is back to discuss her modeling career, including her very special relationship to the groundbreaking designer, Rudy Gernrich, the subject of Tuesday's episode. So without further ado, Barbara, welcome back to Dressed. Barbara, welcome back to Dressed. Oh, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, and I first interviewed you and your partner, Stanley Dorfman, for our two-part episode on Advanced Style. And I was so captivated by your and Stanley's stories from the 1960s. I mean, you being a model and actress, he the co-creator of the hit TV show, Top of the Pops. I mean, I, I told you then, but I just knew I had to have you back to learn more about your incredible career. Oh, it's so sweet. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, talk about a life lived in fashion. Yes, completely. Well, you know, <laughs> my dad was in fashion. My my dad had a company called uh, Barbara Carroll Knits, and he was in the knitwear business. And he had different designers working for him. He had Ann Fogarty. He had Bonnie Cashin. He had Liz Claiborne. So I grew up, you know, I grew up as a kid in fashion. My my dad was a really, he was very tiny, but he was a very smooth dresser, you know, and he was just, he, he always, his closets were perfect and everything in it. And so was my mom. I mean, they all had that attitude. And, you know, when I was about 13 years old, I, um, he wanted me to do a sweater ad and model with sweaters. Well, you know, I had, as I said, I had no tits at all. So there I was, you know, modeling with my hands behind my head like Marilyn Monroe, but there was nothing in front. So that was sort of my beginning of my uh, modeling career. And then I put it aside to do other things because I wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to be an actor, all of those things uh, until I went sort of back to the modeling. 
And because your father was in the clothing industry and the fashion business, and I'm assuming this is in New York, right? Oh, in New York, 1407 Broadway. Oh, so wow. I grew up in the garment center before I was modeling in the garment center. Yeah, he had his buildings, his uh, offices. He was in business with his partner, his brother, and they were at 1407 Broadway. And, you know, because we read about this period, we see it in movies, maybe depicted in scenes like Mad Men and so on and so forth. But do you have memories from that period of going to visit your dad at work or what it was like back then? Oh, sure. Yes. I mean, I have definite memories because I was down there a lot because I was, as I said, even as a young kid, I was interested in fashion and I was, you know, uh, always looking at the magazines and always I I never wore what everybody was wearing at the time. I always, you know, tried to add something or worked around something. And I would go down all the time to see the collections and to see what was going on. So I have great memories of that. So I really grew up down on 7th Avenue from a very young age. And so I, by the time I got to modeling in that same area, I was very comfortable in there because I was around it so much, you know. It was a great period. It was a lot of hustle and bustle. You know, there were a lot of people outside with racks of clothing and the fur industry was around the corner and they were busy. And so it was a very, very busy area. And so and you could just feel the excitement of everybody as they were trying to make their new collections and what was happening. And it was a lot of hustle bustle, I must say. And it was wonderful, especially as compared to today where we're, you know, we're barely <laughs> in the streets, you know. So it it was a different world, completely different world then. Yeah. And of course, the garment district isn't quite exactly what it used to be either. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, yeah. I mean, certainly in the last couple of years and certainly after 9-11, things changed radically. I was just in a taxi there the other day and 7th Avenue was completely empty. I mean, it was so sad. It was really so sad to see that because it was such a thriving, exciting industry, you know, different, different today. Yeah. And where were you shopping? Were you shopping um, at different boutiques and shops during this period? Um, Did you get a lot of clothes from your dad? Well, I was, and I was, oh, yes, and I was always in the thrift shops because I always, always, always loved vintage clothing. And so even at a young age, I was looking around uh, for uh, vintage furs and vintage clothes, and there was a wonderful boutique on the west side at 72nd Street called Isabel, and it was the first vintage clothing place, and I actually bought my my son Jonathan for his 16th birthday uh, a vintage fantastic tuxedo really uh, just from that shop and it, uh, we lived at 75th and Central Park West and this shop was at 72nd and Columbus so it was my neighborhood and I would always go in and see what was happening and so therefore so I started at a very young age with vintage clothing and of course Basically, uh, that's sort of my business today, which is mostly vintage, but not always, and art to wear and dressing people and so forth. I always had the feeling for the clothes of the past. Absolutely. And I mean, it shows in what you you do today, and we'll talk about that in a a bit. But I have to know, do you remember what P. 
periods of garments were in these vintage shops at this time. Because today, when we think of vintage, you know, you can still go into a thrift shop and find maybe one or two 1960s pieces, um, some 1950s. But what type of vintage was in these boutiques? Well, I think it was more in the the early 60s, let's say, or the late 50s, they would have clothes from the 40s, 30s, and 20s. They didn't, they, we were, they weren't in the 60s, 70s, and 80s <laughs> yet. So they were there, but they always, they were just, they just had, in this particular uh, shop, uh, actually her name was Alberta, and she had a wonderful restaurant downtown, and she had an eye that was just extraordinary. And she always had those 1920s dancers, flapper dresses and stuff. And the tuxedos were of the same ilk. And so I, before Jonathan was even 16, I had gone in and bought this tuxedo because I had to have it. And luckily it fit him <laughs> at the time, you know. So, you know, there weren't a lot of those stores, but she was, uh, Alberta was absolutely uh, extraordinary and she had just great taste and so it in a way it trained me because I saw the way she put things together and what she had in her she had a wonderful collection of all those wonderful beaded shawls with fringes from the 1920s that I I sell today and I put on people's pianos to throw around and then you just wear it as a big shawl and you use each thing for 25 different things so it it was very, it was a very exciting period. Yeah, and so you were introduced to fashion and it sounds like modeling at a very young age, um, but you said you went off to do other things as, as a young woman does. But how did you become a professional model? Well, what happened was that <laughs> um, I married at a very young age, a very young age. I was still in college. And I married, you know, a very nice guy, also by the name of Stanley, by the way. It's very funny. And that <laughs> Stanley, when we divorced, ended up marrying a Barbara. So there you go. <laughs> but I, I, I got married um, because I just thought, well, this is what everybody's doing. I, I never thought I'd be in love with anybody. And this was a guy who was really very much in love with me and he wanted to give me everything and he was in a kind of position where he could do that. I thought, well, I'll give this a shot <laughs> because <laughs> I'm never going to be in love and so we'll we'll give it a shot. Uh, so that's what we did. And uh, then I thought, well, you know, I, I, I'm going to have a child because everybody's having a child and I want to have a child, but I wasn't sure about the marriage, but then I wasn't sure about it from the beginning. So I had Jonathan and after Jonathan was born, and again, it was just almost about a year or two after we were married, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm not a housewife. So I thought, I'm going to see what I can do about modeling. And actually, when I was pregnant with Jonathan, there was, uh, they were doing a charity fashion show for one of those organizations. And I was pregnant and they called me up and said, would you come and do wear some clothes. And as I'm walking down the runway pregnant, I thought, this is what I have to do. So after Jonathan was born, I wolfed <laughs> out and I went to a wonderful woman called Eva Bernay. She had, uh, this was in the sixties and she had a wonderful, uh, small, but interesting agency. And she looked at me and she said, uh, I'm, I, I'm going to take you, uh, and I'm going to give you a name 
of a very successful model that I had because I think it suits you and I think it'll work for you. And she said, how would you like the name Flood? And I said, wonderful. Thank you very much. And so she gave me the name Barbara Flood and I started modeling. And then I went to the great agency of mannequin of Gillis McGill, which was in the late middle to late sixties. And she had all of seventh Avenue runway people. And she also had print people. And I was the littlest, shortest one of the group because everybody was, you know, 5'10", 5'11", and I was like 5'8". And so I could do all the junior clothes uh, on 7th Avenue. And so she said, and she loved the name Flood, and I started working for her, and that's where I stayed. And that's where uh, I did all the rest of my modeling work. And I did print as well, but most of it was live runway from 7th Avenue and all the great designers and the Cody Awards and all those big uh, and and at the department stores, the copies of the European collections, you know, from, uh, from at Orbach's where they always copied uh, and they went to Europe and they saw the collections and then they came home and copied them for America. And I did all those uh, collections. But, uh, but that's where it started. So I just went from pregnancy to having <laughs> Jonathan <laughs> and who's become a great screenwriter today. And uh, he did a wonderful movie called Swing Kids, which all the young people who come to my house say, Swing Kids is my favorite movie. So we'll talk about that a little later on. But at any rate, that's where I started my modeling career. You started your modeling career, but you worked professionally during the 1960s for a whole host of designers. You've talked about modeling with Oscar de la Renta, Valentino, Jean Muir. Jean Muir was extraordinary, but my favorite, I must say, designer that I worked for was Rudy Gernreich. And I was one of his five girls, and he was the most extraordinary man to work for. And he was so ahead of his time in what he saw. He did the, you know, the topless bathing suit. He did the topless bathing dresses. Uh, he had an extraordinary talent, and uh, he was one of my favorite people. But, uh, but I mean, I worked for everybody, so it was... Yeah, I worked for Anne Klein when Donna Karen was designing for and Louis Delorio. So Anne Klein was one of my first clients, and Capizio was one of my... And the, the shot that I had with the long hair, with the, with the leg up in the air, is for Capizio. And that was from the beginning of sort of the modeling career. Yeah, and our listeners know that I'm going to be posting tons of fabulous images of Barbara from her her modeling days, so I'll definitely post that. And I'm, I do want to talk to you more about Gernreich, but I also just want to hear a little bit, what was it like to be a model in the 1960s? Because um, you, we've interviewed um, Pat Cleveland, who was a model, got her start in the 60s. I know Pat, um, sure. Yeah, sure. and... Um, you know, we've we've talked a lot about this period and the excitement and, you know, this youth cake revolution with the clothing. And, and it was just such a, this amazing, inner, exciting time. What was it like for you? It was very exciting. It was just very exciting. First of all, I loved the agency. I loved the girls. At that period of time, we didn't have the kind of competition that it's been. It was later on. Everybody loved each other. Everybody looked out for each other. And we, and we were running up and down elevators and no, with our underwear and no clothing to get from from place to place and to do the shows because at that point, most of the shows that we did were mostly in the buildings and at, at the place where the business was. So, and if there were three 
businesses and you had three shoots that day of fashion shows, you'd be running up and down with no clothes and just racing for the elevators. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I worked at Stanley Herman is a great designer. He did a company called Mr. Mort and he was incredibly successful. It was much more of a junior line. He also in today's world is still designing and he's doing clothes for airline stewardesses and so forth. He had a very fun way of working and it was very friendly. It wasn't, it wasn't scary at all. I mean, there were scary times with a lot of photographers for print where you, they were chasing you around the tables and you had to have your wits about you to get out the door. But on 7th Avenue, there was a lot of camaraderie and excitement and we all wanted to do our best. We all loved the designers we worked for. I worked for Larry Aldrich. I, I, was, I did the fittings and the showings and I worked for a wonderful older woman called Marie McCarthy. And she was just lovely. She made the whole collection on me and then everybody came to show it, including myself. So that when you got a job like that, you could do the fittings for the collection as well as wearing the collection. It was very exciting and it was very creative because I never kept my mouth closed. I always had to comment on what I (laughs) was wearing. (laughs) And and I worked uh, for a wonderful guy who died, unfortunately, Pat Sandler. And I, you know, I did a lot of collections for him and he had, and he would always ask my opinion and I would just say, no, I think it's too long. It's too short. I, you know, I think as a little girl, I, I got to understand my eye and my eye could see somehow if something was an inch too long or an inch too short. I had that, uh, I had still have that ability to do that. So a lot of pe- a lot of the designers that I worked for, uh, talk to me about it. And so I wasn't just a stick standing there with clothes being pinned on me and saying, ouch, occasionally. But I was a person who could contribute to the making and the creation of of a dress that would go on to become sold in the hundreds and sold in department stores. And that was a very creative way of, of working. And it was very exciting. Yeah, and I have to say, when I, I did an archive search for you, and I found an article, the very first article I found was of you in the New York Times. And you're with the designer Jack Bodie, and you're in a knitting like factory. Right. And it's it stands out because you're the model, but you're you're quoted in the in the article, and you're also identified. So there's so many models, I think, in, in previous decades, maybe that they weren't necessarily known. You didn't know the name of the model. And I think in the 60s, you really start to see models becoming part of the fashion culture. Well, absolutely. And especially with Holston and all his girls like Patty Cleveland, who is just a darling, darling person. And, you know, all those girls who became, had their own identity. And I think that's a very important thing. You know, I walked very fast and I smiled and nobody smiled, you know, (laughs) but I was always smiling, you know, and I, you, you, you know, you have become an individual person. You're just not walking down a runway or a showroom. You have your own attitude. You have your own way of walking. And I think all those girls like Patty, who worked for uh, Pat Cleveland, who worked for Holston and stuff, uh, they, they all had their own individual style. And I think that was a lot of the creativity. And that was a lot of fun for me to have my own style of who I was and what I was. And also because... I was able to speak and talk about things and, and people 
sort of listened. And that was very exciting and very creative. Yeah. And as a young woman, you're probably a target audience as well for their their clothing. So for you to kind of being of that target audience and then being a model who then validates their clothing by saying like this, in this article, you say you're going to order half a dozen of these net dresses. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Too much is never enough, right? I mean, it's, it's me. I mean, you know, hello. Yeah, yeah, but it's just so clear in that article. And I'm still like that. I mean, I'm absolutely, you know, nothing has changed. I mean, I'm <laughs> absolutely, it's really amazing. I'm absolutely the same person carrying on doing clothes, doing the shopping, running around, doing the, it's exactly the way I was then as exactly the way I am now. It's, it's really, really interesting. you know. <laughs> so. I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about Rudy Gernreich, um, because you just mentioned that he was your favorite designer. Um, he's one of my favorite designers, too. I mean, what he was doing in the 1960s, even though the 1960s was... He was, was so ag- yes, ahead of his time, wasn't yes. he? Yeah. Um, very, you know, androgynous fashion. You know, he's really the inventor of the thong, <laughs> um, the monokini. And he had that philosophy that the naked body was nothing to be afraid of. It was something to be celebrated. You yourself were an example and obviously a model of his designs. Can you talk a little bit more about how how you met Rudy and then maybe how that relationship blossomed throughout the 1960s for you to become one of his Gernwright girls? I had a great friend who was also a model, wonderful model, Ellen Hart. And she was with another agency and she was a great friend of mine. And then she opened up her own agency. And she was one of Rudy's girls. Uh, Peggy Moffat was his original and favorite, of course, person. Uh, And Ellen was one of his girls as well. And Ellen and I were very friendly. And one day she said to me, and there were things called go-sees in those days where you went on a go-see to see the designer. And, you know, your agency would send you out to do it. Sometimes you got it. Sometimes you didn't. The one thing I want to say before that is you can't have an ego if you were a model in those days because... You have to be prepared for people to say, oh, she's awful. Look at her nose. Look at her ears. Look at her mouth. You know, and just work around it. You have to work around it because otherwise you can't take anything personally. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to work. But Ellen said, you know, I I work for Rudy Gernreich and he's a wonderful guy. And I think he would love you. Would you like to go and meet him? And I said, absolutely, because I knew about him. So I came to see him. And then I put on some clothes of his and then I walked and he said, you know, Barbara, I'd love for you to come and be with me. I said, well, I would, (laughs) I'd love to come and be with you. And that became um, not only a relationship of model and designer, but it became a personal relationship because when I came to California in the seventies and I met Stanley, the fella, and um, I would call and visit Rudy and we would go out to lunch and dinner. And he would ask my opinion on what do you think about this and what do you think about that, as he did with, I think, all his girls and with Ellen and certainly with Peggy, who was his definite muse and uh, major person. He, we became friends. So not only did I admire his work, uh, but we became really close friends. And uh, he was very bright and intelligent man and he started his life as a dancer so he knew the fluidity of clothing and how clothes looked on you even if he did the no clothes he knew how it looked <laughs> i sent you a picture of the three of us i think it was ellen myself myself and peggy 
where it says the top falls out of fashion from the New York Times with our tits hanging out. And I was the one with the hair slicked back very short on the end because we all looked alike because Sassoon did our hair. And Wade Bandy, who was a fantastic makeup guy, did our makeup. But the thing that I loved about him and how wonderful he was with me, he said, you know, because all the girls who used a lot of makeup and I didn't. And he said, you know, Barbara, you know, all these girls use all, but you do whatever you want and you wear your makeup however you want because it's just fine with me. And I just thought that was so great because he gave us all the permission to be ourselves. And we had all a very great relationship with him. And he understood because he he had started as a dancer and he just knew the body and he knew how to put clothes on it. And what was it like to wear his clothes? Was it freeing to wear this monokini? No, I mean, I loved it because I'm such an (laughs) exhibitionist. I mean, it was just great. And we had, there was an exhibition this last winter at the Skirball in California of Rudy. And I was... I, I came out and Ellen, my friend Ellen, unfortunately died and Peggy was not particularly well. And so I was one of the only people who came and, and you know, to the show and talked about it. They, we all did little interviews that was on. And um, I, all those samples that I saw that were exhibited there of mine, I mean, I would put them on today and wear them in a, in a second because they never lost their style. They always had fluidity and motion. And mainly they had a dancer's feel. And that dancer's feel about moving and stretching and leaping into the air. His clothes exhibited that. Even when they were monokinis, those, <laughs> that little monokini bottom had a, li- a life of its own. I mean, it, you know, it talked to you. It said, here I am and just take me the way I am. And he he had that ability to do that. And that was what was so refreshing and extraordinary about him loved him loved him and his work is just so relevant today it is it is i mean it says everything about you know here we are we want to be individuals we're in crisis but look what we can put on and be comfortable in and be happy in you know and he had that ability to project the future which was quite 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 extraordinary I love being, and Stanley loved him too. I mean, he was so sweet with us when he took us out to dinner in California and he was so delightful and, you know, and I was always a health food person. So I was carrying my own muffins. I'm carrying my own cottage cheese. I'm carrying my own food wherever I go. And he just went along with it. He just, you know, we went to like, it was a steak place and I wouldn't look at a piece of steak, you know, (laughs) but he was, he was just, and Stanley loved him, and he loved Stanley. And he was just uh, a person of great insights and great, uh, and I had great love and admiration for him. He was one of my favorite people, and I'm, I wish he was around today because he'd have a lot to say, and he'd have a lot <laughs> to say in his designs. He would, he would be extraordinary. He would be extraordinary today, I think. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing your relationship and story with him. Because like so many of us admire his work to this very day, but it's nice to get to know a little bit about the man behind the brand. Besides, he was so handsome. Oh, yes. <laughs> Cassidy, he was a very handsome guy. You know? And he had a great partner, Arrest. And Arrest was not in the fashion business, but he was great. And they had a beautiful house in California. And of course, in great taste, always in great taste. I mean, and indivi- what, what was, when I say great, I just mean individual because he had, it's like 
I hope one day you come and visit my apartment. It's, it, you know, it's wonderful to be have the ability or to try to make things your own, whether you're living in something or wearing something, to make it your your own and have it your own personality because it then shines through and people can see who you are. Oh, yes. Beautiful sentiment. I think that you can carry beauty on your body and then create beauty around yourself wherever you go. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you talked about your New York Times photograph with Peggy and yourself. The top fell out of fashion. And now, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and that was 1971. And you yourself were kind of on the way out of fashion because um, I know this is when you, I think this is the year you, you first designed costumes for a film, for Orson Welles' film, if I'm not mistaken. It wasn't an Orson Welles film. It was a Henry Jaglum film and had in it Orson Welles, myself, Tuesday Weldon, Jack Nicholson. And Henry Jaglum was the director. And I didn't design the costumes, but I picked the costumes. You know, I picked the costumes for, for Tuesday to wear. Not the guys, but it was really mainly Tuesday. Do you know who Tuesday Weld is? If you don't, I want you to look her up. <clears throat> because she was in the 70s and 80s. She started at a very young age. One of the most beautiful and one of the most magnificent actors, and we're, we're best friends and we speak every day. She's in California. And she, she looked like Marilyn, but she was tiny. And she uh, did a lot of films. Her name is Tuesday Weld. And the kind of film this was, it was, a place, it was called A Safe Place. It was a very, you know, I hate to use the term, but avant-garde kind of film. Yeah. It was really crazy. <laughs> It's crazy because he's he's a crazy director, Henry. Any rate, I while I was modeling, I I modeled much more after that. But while I was modeling, and we did this film, I decided what the character would wear. So it was more not designing much, but styling, so to speak. Right, right. And and the reason all of this sort of happened was at that period of time, Henry became a big sort of again that crazy word of avant-garde uh, director, and I were together. And so this was the first film he was doing. He subsequently made 14 films. So, you know, I've always been interested in crazy artists. And, you know, Stanley, of course, uh, <laughs> being the least crazy, but definitely crazy <laughs> of all the other people that I knew, but divine, but a divine crazy. Uh, and Henry was also crazy. So, but I had the chance to do that other side of it besides walking down a runway, but saying, no, this character has this kind of feeling, and so she should be wearing this and this. And so I was able to do that, and it was it was a lot of fun. And uh, and the film actually got was at the New York Film Festival and got nominated. We all went for the award ceremonies. It was all very exciting. Uh, and then we 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 had a big party at this house afterwards for everybody. And then it was that period of time where. You know, everybody was doing drugs except for me. I was still in my cottage cheese and muffins period, which I stayed in. <laughs> and, you know, and we had all these people in the apartment. We had, you know, Dennis Hopper and Jack Nicholson and Warren Beatty. And they were all in my bathroom. And I had, the bathroom was closed. I had no idea what was going on. And, of course, they were doing uh, drugs in the bathroom. And who knew? I had no idea. So it was a very funny experience. But 
it was great because it gave me also the ability to say, and that's why I do my business today, because it's, I can look at somebody and say, I think you should give this a shot and wear this and do that. And sometimes, and it works, you know? So I, 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 it was always a learning curve along the way. I think you learn each day as you do something and you figure out how to go, go forward with it. Then you learn, you know? Yeah, and so you're, you styled this film. You also had a part in this film. Did this segue you into acting? Because you were in a, several different films, including the f- 1976 film Tracks with Dennis Hopper, which is how you met Stanley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I'd always wanted to be an actor. So when I was in college at Syracuse, I was in the acting department. When I was at Columbia, I transferred to Columbia. I was in the acting department. And I always wanted, first, I wanted to be a dancer. And so I was, my mother took me, I think, to Agnes DeMille when I was a little girl. And she said, your daughter can dance, but she has to be very dedicated. Well, I wanted to play outside with the boys. I didn't want to be dedicated. So I always danced, but I never took it as a career. But acting was something I could, I had a feeling for, and I thought I can do this. And so I, you know, I studied with Stella Adler and I, studied in college and stuff, but the modeling came in at a period of time, you know, an acting career is fantastic, but you're finished at a very young age, you know, at that period of time, especially you were finished at a very young age. And I thought, you know, acting is wonderful, but will I be able to do, I want to do something that I can do forever. And that, that wasn't it at the time. And so the modeling came in and uh, I just thought, well, for as long as this lasts, this is what I really love. And that's so I was interested in all of it. But the modeling fell into place. And here I was here. I was, you know, walking down the runway, smiling, laughing when everybody's walking down very serious. But I had a wonderful <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed it so much. I enjoy uh, being with people and I enjoy creating and I enjoy that part of something where you take something and you look at it, you say, maybe we can put this and this and this and this with it. And then we have something. So it's something that I think you just take on with you, no matter how old you are. So modeling, then you act, then acting, styling. And then the next chapter in your life was opening your very own boutique, which I believe started out as an antique store. Yes. The thing about this boutique, it's sort of it's sort of a secret boutique uh, because, you know, I have, it's like a studio in my apartment and I send things out to people because you're not, you're really not supposed to have (laughs) a boutique in your own apartment. You know, when you live on park Avenue in a fancy building, even if you're not fancy, you have to be careful of what you do. So what I do is use it as it's sort of like my, my, my workspace and uh, people call on the phone and if they want something, I just tell them or I say, I'm going to send you this, that, and the other thing. You'll see how you feel about it. So it started and I, you know, I just thought, well, I, you know, I'm going to do this and see what happens. And it, it, it turned out to be a lot of fun and successful. And people enjoy, you know, being able to call up and say, somebody called the other day and said, you know, I need a navy blue cape. I said, I don't have a navy blue cape. I have a black (laughs) cape. So it's that kind of thing where you, people call you up and say, do you have and can you send me? And of course, I send a lot of clothes to dealers for all their shows. And, you know, they sell a lot of my things. And it's not only clothing. It's clothing and furniture and pottery and art 
and Stanley, you know, our, our art and Stanley's pictures are here for people who need to look at them, you know, because he's a, he's a wonderful painter, as you know, as you know from the movie and stuff. And uh, so my house is the kitchen sink. It, it has everything <laughs> in it. And you just have to draw from which room or which article or which whatever you're going to take. And then it works out. So that's what's happened. But, you know, Iris Apfel is an extraordinary example of a woman much older who has an extraordinary eye. I know her quite well. I've been in her apartment. And and she. Uh, there was a wonderful story. We were at some fashion, something where they were having some things for sale. And I was walking around. I think it was the Lighthouse. It was an event for the Lighthouse for the Blind. And I, I saw this pair of red shoes and I... I started to, I looked at it and said, I'm going to try those on. And at that moment, a hand filled with bracelets all up there <laughs> reached out over me and grabbed the shoes. It was Iris. That's how I met her. And it was so funny. And I said, I, of course, I knew who she was. I said, be my guest because I was already on it. But that hand with the bracelets <laughs> slipped out those shoes. And, and there they were right in her bag, you know. So, you know, I think. People of all ages uh, can have style and and also they can also be individuals. And that's the main thing. People should try to find their own individuality. They shouldn't try to copy because it's better to try what you like and see what you like. Even if it's wrong, but then you start to learn, you know, and so uh, and she definitely is in a class by herself and just absolutely brilliant at what she does. And she had a company called Old World Weavers uh, in the uh, 50s, I think, and 60s. And she's sold to a lot of decorators for their houses and stuff. And so I think if you have the eye for fashion, you can also have the eye for decorating, uh, not necessarily cooking, because I'm, I'm, I don't cook, Stanley cooks, I don't cook, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Um, I, when I was married, I thought I would cook and I went to Dione Lucas cooking school. She was very French and I thought, well, I'll learn how to do this. And, uh, but I was already starting on my health food phase. And I said, Miss Lucas, uh, do I have to cook with butter? And she said, Miss Flood, if you can't cook with butter, you can't cook at all. I said, thank you very much. I left the class. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I'm saying that if you have, you can do it, you can do fashion with everything, you know, you can do it with your cooking, you can do it with your cleaning, you know, you can do it with your clothing, you can just make it your own and do it what, do things that suit you as a person, rather than copying the next person that, you know, next door to you, who you think is perfect, but you could just do your own, own thing in your own way and it would be just fine. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned Iris being in a in a class all her own, but I have to say that you are as well. I mean, you have such an incredible sense of style, and and you really do embody the joy and also the art of dressing. And and it is a joy. It is a joy, and you know, each day is a joy. It makes me very happy. It makes it, and it doesn't make Stanley so happy because if we travel, I'm sending out. You know, I'm sending out bags and bags of clothing, <laughs> and he has to check them into the airport and run around. He's not thrilled with that. But but <laughs> lately, of course, we don't have to go anywhere, so it's not particularly a problem. But I must say that through this period, I dress, I put on makeup, I exercise every day. I mean, it's not like I'm I've gone into 
you know, track suits. I'm not a track suit girl per se. You know, I'm a tights and leotards and and T-shirts with Frida Kahlo on them and one earring hanging down here and there. So because it makes me feel good. And um, I just feel like I'm me wherever I am, you know? Right. And it also just kind of instills a little bit of spark and um, joy and happiness in your day. It does. It, and it make, I tell you what, physically and emotionally, it makes you feel better. It really does. Because, you know, through the period of time, for instance, at the beginning of this pandemic, it was three months and you couldn't get your hair colored, you know. So I'm in the bathroom, you know, trying to put these, all this red, my red hair and you can't, you can't do it. I mean, I can't, somebody else has to do it. But so I tell you, it was really, it was an effort. It was definitely effort. And I was so pleased when I could, you know, go again and just take care of simple things like that. But um, it's all part of the trying to be an individual human being and enjoying life and giving to other people and, and make sure that everybody is correct in the behavior. We're living in a country that is not correct in its behavior at the moment. And uh, it's a tragedy. And uh, I'm hoping that we'll be able to fix it, change it um, and get it back to some semblance of reality. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Remains to be seen. <clears throat> Barbara, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. This was really a treat. Oh, I'm so glad, Cassidy. Barbara, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us again today. You know, as a fellow New Yorker cast, what a treat to be kind of transported back in time to the 1950s and the 1960s to the New York Garment District because this was kind of like the height of when clothing was being manufactured and made in America or American clothing. So this was obviously quite formative period in her own journey. Absolutely. And I i mean, I must say, I count the interviews that I did for the advanced style episodes among some of my most cherished of the podcast because so many of these individuals have lived such incredible lives. Barbara, of course, is no exception. It's really been a gift to get to know her and to get a first-person perspective of a period I have spent so much time studying. Uh, I can only dream of living in and experiencing 1960s New York, but Barbara was there. And to have had a friendship with Rudy, I mean, arguably the most exciting and innovative designer of the 1960s and 70s is so special, as is Barbara herself, her philosophy on life and dressing is definitely an inspiration. So thank you, Barbara. And I think that does it for us today, dress listeners. May you consider sharing in Barbara's joy of dressing next time you get dressed. We love hearing from you. So if you would like to email us, you can do so at dress at iheartmedia.com. You can also DM us on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast where you will always find images accompanying each week's episodes. You can also follow us on Facebook at Dressed Podcast without the underscore. And as always, special thank yous to our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio who makes the show possible each and every week. Catch you Tuesday. Dress, the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.